So, did you make it through the night? Yes, I'm proud to say I did. So you're still master of your domain? Yes. Yes, I am. Master of my domain. Uh -huh. Alright, and welcome to the State of Games. I'm Dice Hate Me. And this is Monkey238. And this is episode 8, or as we like to call it, the one about not playing with yourself. What? Uh... <laughs> no, 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 not that kind of, well, never mind, you'll see soon enough. Anyway, this should be an interesting podcast, and even if you don't think so, you should all stick around to the end, because it's the anniversary of Dice Hate Me, and we have something really super cool to give away. That's right. Give, give away. That's right. As in free. Free. As in you get something neat, and all you have to do is, well, you're going to have to do something nifty, but we'll get to that in a minute. So moving on to the first bit of business. Monkey, what do you think of when I say multiplayer solitaire? Uh, something nasty. <laughs> no, no. With board games, what do you think uh... of? Well, I've heard some people refer to some games as multiplayer solitaire, such as Dominion, At the Gates of Loyang, yeah. Pastiche. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's, that's kind of what I wanted to open up talking about uh, in the podcast today. Because for some reason lately, the words multiplayer solitaire have just popped up online, in forums, on Twitter. Um, it seems to be something or an issue that a lot of people get riled up about. Um, and how would you define multiplayer solitaire? Solitaire with multiplayers. <laughs> Basically, it's a game for two players or more, but you feel like there's a lack of interaction because to win the game, you're just kind of within your own world, within your own realm to achieve whatever the victory is for the game, and you don't really get to discuss things with other players or interact or attack or defend or influence the outcome of the other player's game. Yeah, I mean, that's a perfect definition. That's pretty much the way that I would put it, too. And some people will argue about what defines really multiplayer solitaire. Some say that some games fit the definition and some don't. Um, personally, I think the term really started floating around quite a bit when Dominion came out. And because Dominion was so popular... It basically shot way up on the charts and on Board Game Geek. And whenever a game, especially a game that has a new sort of mechanic or a new twist on a mechanic, shoots way up in the popularity, people get grumpy. And I don't know why. That's just one of those phenomena that happens. But they start banding about different terms and why they don't like it. And one of those things that people kept saying was uh, that Dominion was basically multiplayer solitaire. Now, we've played Dominion, you know, a few times. Uh, I've played it much more than, than Monkey has, but, I mean, would you consider, under the definition that we said, Dominion to be multiplayer solitaire? Pretty much, actually. That's probably the game that I've played that feels the most like that. I mean, we've played amongst the two of us, and at first, when learning the game, there's interaction just because I had questions, but after... After that first game went by, I mean, we could have both been just looking at our own cards, and there wasn't really a struggle for resources at all, you know, so there wasn't that sense of competition. Um, right. Well, the only, and the only thing that I would think that it doesn't fit the definition for would be the fact that there is a struggle for uh, getting a limited amount of victory points that are available. Uh, but everything else pretty much seems exactly like how you defined it. Uh, you know, there's a couple in the base set that allow you to interact with people, um, you know, like the militia. You know, you have to watch if somebody's taking a militia, so you take a moat. 
But for the most part, you're not like, you know, trying to send your people over there and, and strategically place them to attack. You don't have to specifically defend. It's just, you know, you plop down your cards really fast, shuffle up, deal, go again. And a lot of people like that. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a huge seller, and people kind of like that atmosphere. But, you know, in, in the games that we like to play, at least in the games that we feel like we like to play together and with other people, we just like a little more interaction. And that's not to say that a game like Dominion is a bad game. It's just in our personal preferences. There's a couple other games that we've played we feel like might fit the definition as well, like maybe Agricola. Although, you are interacting a little bit more with people in Agricola because you're you're trying to jump on those spaces before everybody else does. Yeah. But for the most part, you've got your own little board, and you're sitting there, and you're trying, kind of doing your own thing. Um, the most recent game that we've played that has made me feel a little bit like I'm playing multiplayer solitaire is Pastiche. And as a preface to what I'm about to say, I really love the game. Um, but I did find that playing with more than two players allowed for more interaction and made the game a lot more interesting and fun. Um, placing the tiles became a challenge because there's a limited amount of space for you to place them. And if, if another player takes your spot, you could be screwed. But with two players, there's obviously only a 50-50 chance that someone's going to take the spot that you want. Um, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would completely agree about Pastiche. I, I like the game as well. Um, recently, of course, on Dice Hate Me, I compared Pastiche and Fresco. I feel like Pastiche is, it really comes into its own when you have multiple players. and uh, But it does fit that multiplayer solitaire definition. Now, the question arises with us talking about all this, is player interaction absolutely necessary in a game? I mean, do you, do you feel that it's always absolutely necessary? Well, I think generally speaking, it's not absolutely necessary, but I prefer to have interaction with other players. I mean, that's why I play them, or else I could sit at my computer and play games by myself, which is fine and dandy, but the reason why I like playing board games is because of the social aspect and the interaction that players get to have, aside from within the realms of the game, just, you know, the, you know... (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely i i don't think that it's absolutely necessary and there are a lot of people out there that love games that just allow them to be in their own space and and basically try to combat the mechanics of the game and not necessarily always combating the mechanics of other people or the machinations of other people but you know we as a as a couple and, and and myself in the lunch games group that i play with at my work uh, we all like to play games that are high on social interaction. It's just, it's just our preference. Um, and I feel like the most fun games are ones that you can actually interact with people. But there are some people who really get mad when you mess with what they're trying to do. They don't like competitive or direct combat or direct co- uh, competition games, and that's fine. One other game that we want to talk about really quickly about multiplayer solitaire that Monkey mentioned was at the Gates of Luoyang. And a lot of people have said that it is multiplayer solitaire. But we don't feel that that's true. Mm-mm. And I think we've touched upon this in a previous podcast as well, that many people were saying that, and that was one that it didn't even cross our minds to feel like multiplayer solitaire. And, and perhaps that maybe that depends on the players themselves. Yeah, that's true. I guess it depends on how people are actually playing the game. But yeah, we've, we've talked a bit of, quite at length about At the Gates of Luoyang, and how, as definitely as a two-player game, it's a very interactive game. 
I mean, I wouldn't say very. It's about a medium interaction game, but you've got to watch what the other opponent's doing. There are several cards and helpers that you can bring out that you can interact with the other person, kind of messing around, stealing their markets, things like that. I think it's has a lot more interaction than um, Agricola does. And so I, we just want to mention that because some games that people feel like could be multiplayer solitaire, if you feel that way, then possibly you're not looking at all of the avenues that you can interact with other players on the board. And maybe you're not getting as much out of the game as you could. Yeah, I think At the Gates of Loyang actually provides us with a way to influence the outcome of other players' results as well as your own. And to me, that that's interaction. Yeah, absolutely. So, speaking of At the Gates of Liang, we wanted to talk a little bit about some games that are great for when you don't want to play with yourself. Um, we want to talk about some of our favorite games for just the two of us, and whether they're meant for two players or whether they can scale up for larger groups but play just as well one-on-one. Uh, some of the games we've mentioned before on the podcast, and even some very recently, but in case you missed them, we wanted to go over the good ones and probably tell you about a couple of the really, really bad ones. <laughs> so, Monkey, what's one of the best two-player games that we play? Well, Twilight Struggle made it to one of my favorite games of the year last year, so I'd have to probably give props to that one um, Yeah, oh, as absolutely. my favorite two-player intended as two-player games. Right. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about any game that we mention as whether it's scalable. In other words, whether we can play with more than one, more than two people or not. Twilight Struggle would definitely make my list. It is fantastic. When you, you know, we've mentioned it before. If you've not had a chance to, to play it, find someone who has the game or buy it. Whatever you got to do. And then set aside about five hours of your time. Well, the first time you might want to set aside about an entire day. <laughs> give yourself a couple of hours to read the instructions. <laughs> right. And, and give yourself time to play it again and again and again. And make mistakes. And make mistakes. And you're going to want to play it again and again because uh, it's tough going as the U.S., but it's challenging and it's in, it's intriguing and immersive and it's absolutely fantastic. You you may not, if you, if you game with your partner... Um, or your best friend, they may not be the same type of gamer you are. It might take them a little longer to warm up to the game, but if you have people who really like to just figure out a game itself and really go head-to-head versus an opponent, now this this is full-on interaction. This is not multiplayer solitaire. Twilight Struggle is every single turn you are doing something against your opponent. Yeah, and for all you nerds out there, it's really high on the history factor as well so that's that's pretty fun and the artwork on that game is it's pretty cool it's pretty cool that's right so highly recommend twilight struggle um so how about another one um another intended as two-player game that we play pretty regularly is mr jack that comes out on a regular basis we don't i think when we first got it as with all of our games we'll play for a couple of days in a row just to get a really good feel for it and to allow you to write an educated review, Um, but that does make its way back out of the closet on a regular basis. Yeah, and that's one that we can definitely recommend for almost any couple or people who like to play just two players together. And Mr. Jack, we've briefly mentioned it in other podcasts, and I've mentioned it on Dice Hate Me, but for those who don't know, Mr. Jack is based around uh, the Jack the Ripper um, history. You're in Whitechapel in England, and 
one person plays Jack the Ripper and one person plays the detectives trying to hunt him down. And so it's a deduction game. Jack's trying to escape. You're, you've got you know eight different suspects you can have and you try to whittle it down using uh, deduction. And it's a fantastic kind of cat and mouse. And it's not, we wouldn't say it's intense. Uh, it's just perfect for like a good 30 minutes where if you're about to go to bed, you just sit down, play this game, you know, unwind for the day. It's a great, great uh, game for two players. Yeah, and especially because you can switch back and forth between who's Jack and who's the investigator, and it definitely uses a different part of your brain depending on which player you decide. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we have the expansion for it, uh, and we like the expansion for it. If if you get Mr. Jack and you play it a lot like we have, the expansion really um, helps bring some new flavor to the game without hurting the mechanics at all. Uh, we highly recommend picking up the expansion. We also have Mr. Jack in New York. Now, you weren't as, as fond of that one. Mm-mm. I'm not sure why. Um, maybe it was my mood that day. Yeah, we should break it out and try it again. I, mean, I, I enjoyed it. I actually like the original a little bit better. But we'll try it again and come back and tell you a little bit more about it. Which is funny that you didn't like it since you're from New York. I know. I don't get that. I don't know. Okay. Maybe it's because it didn't have enough New York in it. Yeah. Didn't have street meat. Ew. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the games that's actually scalable that I'd like to talk about that we have played recently is Airships. Yeah. Now that game, for whatever reason, I was reading online before I picked it up, but... A lot of people weren't that crazy about it with two players, and we don't really understand why. Because it's it is basically kind of a Euro style game, but it comes with dice. Now, anybody who knows me and my writings on dice hate me knows that I'm just not. I don't gravitate. I love dice, but they don't gravitate toward me. But I actually do really well in this game, and I think it's because you're able to. Um, manage your dice resources and the type of uh, improvements that you take. By improvements, he means modifications. Correct, modifications. So, briefly about the game, uh, there was a small write-up about it last week on Dice Hate Me. You can check that out. But, a little bit about the game. It's about being an entrepreneur at the turn of the century, and you're trying to build up a, a fleet of Zeppelins. And by improving your Zeppelins and your Zeppelin technology, then you can eventually work on the Hindenburg and it's four victory points at the end of the game. And by the modifications and improvements I'm talking about, there are certain cards that come up. You can take like engineers, uh, engines, um, resources, things like that. Money. And money, right. And what they do is they allow you to modify your dice pool. So when you're trying to build Zeppelins or take new technology, you have to roll certain colored dice and get uh, an amount on there that will allow you to take the card. And it gives you victory points or resources or whatever else you need for it. So it's a very um, quick-moving game. Uh, it's not hugely in-depth. It's a good medium-weight game that two people can play really well together. It's not too mentally straining, so another good late-night-before-you-go-to-bed game. and It's just kind of fun. The, the luck of the dice adds that extra factor. You know, every, every turn entails rolling dice, so there's always that. Uh. Yeah, exactly. And there are certain things you can do, like if you mess up a turn, you're, you're, even if you miss your roll and don't get your card, you get these little um, chits that allow you to, if you have three of them, you can cash them in to take another turn, or you can cash one in to add one to your dice roll. So there's a lot of modifications you can do to uh, kind of escape that luck factor a little bit. But the if people 
don't like luck in their games, they're not probably not going to like airships because there is a fair amount of luck. You know, the, number, the type of cards that come out and the dice you roll, things like that. But it's fun, and it's a very kind of lighthearted. The, the artwork is is nice and whimsical. So, me being a Zeppelin freak, I like it naturally. But Monkey doesn't really have any sort of inclinations towards blimps or anything. So. No, and I really like it. Yeah. <laughs> so, and again, this can scale up to four players. And we've not had a chance to try it with four players yet, even three or four players, but I'm looking forward to it. And we'll get back to you about that. Word. Word. Just as a different kind of two-player game, and this has been in the news lately as well, is Fresco. And Chris wrote a comparison between Fresco and Pastiche in his last um, post. But with that two-player game, there's actually the addition of a dummy player, which is the third player sitting at your table. Right, Leonardo. They call him Leonardo. And um, that's an interesting mechanic. I'm not sure if I love it. It's a good way to influence the outcome of the game, but essentially, in alternating turns, the players are then responsible for also playing the dummy player. Mm -hmm. And you can use him to uh, get in the way of your opponent, to influence what resources they have, I like the mechanic. It A lot of times when you play games that have a dummy player for two people, it's a little bit clunky. It, it just gets in the way of the fun factor of the game. But I feel like the dummy player in Fresco is, is not that obtrusive. He doesn't have as many actions as the players do, so you don't have to think as much about what he's going to do. You basically just use him as an extension of yourself and keep him out of your way and put it in the way of your opponent. Yeah, but it hurts my brain sometimes. <laughs> okay, your fresco is is not necessarily a late night before no. you go to bed game. No. Definitely not. Because, well, fresco, besides having the dummy player, also has a lot of choices. I mean, you have to decide, you know, secretly behind your little player screen whether you're going to go, you know, first, try to go first and lose morale, or whether you're, you're going to go later and have more morale and get more actions per turn. It's a lot of little micro choices that go into that. And then on top of that, when you have to um, exercise one part of your brain, you have to switch it over to the other part of your brain and figure out how to mix the paints right so you can get the right colors. It's a little bit of a brain burner sometimes. Well, uh, let's see. One of the other games that we really like, and it was the first game, well, actually the first hardcore game that I introduced Monkey to, is Roll Through the Ages. Yeah, that's another one that makes its way out of the closets on a regular basis, and that's another late-night game. And I, I, I find that we've been creating this subcategory of late night game plays but i guess because both of us as many of you um work and need to make money so (laughs) gaming time is a is a bit limited and a lot of the times when chris and i get to play is right before bed when we've kind of gotten everything off our plates and we can actually relax but it's usually pretty late by then unless it's the weekend so we often look for Fun, challenging games that don't use too much brain power, that take maybe only 30 minutes to an hour, and thus are created subcategory. Because we definitely have yeah. that section of games. <laughs> yeah, we maybe we should roll this into some sort of an article for Dice Hate Me, late night games. Yeah. That's actually a good idea. Look for that on Dice Hate Me soon. But yeah, definitely games that we're mentioning so far, We for the most part, we'll play just before bed, and it's a great time. And Roll Through the Ages fits that perfectly. Um, we 
So most of you are familiar with Roll Through the Ages, but if you're not, it uses dice, and the dice are beautiful. They're nice wooden dice. Uh, they they're feel big, yeah, heavy. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, and when you build your civilization, you can have up to seven dice per turn to roll. Monkey very rarely builds her civilization large. I do a whole lot of times, but when she builds them up, she can barely hold all of them in her hands because they're so big. And she's not my hands. Yeah, the, the dice. <laughs> no, she's tiny. Um, but anyway, you're rolling. Tiny, tiny. <laughs> anyway, I'm each... just a little wee one. <laughs> Why don't you tell us about Roll Through the Ages? <laughs> I don't have anything to say about it. Okay. Anyway, you're rolling every turn. You're trying to maximize the amount of resources that you get to build your civilization. It's sort of a lot of uh, pressure luck factor in there. And we really, really like it. We highly recommend Roll Through the Ages and picking it up. It has great components, a lot of wooden pieces. And we have I've never played it with more than two people, I don't think. I certainly haven't. I mean, that that's an in- indicator right there. If we've never really gone out and tried to play it with more than two players, that means it's a fantastic two-player game, in my opinion. Yeah, and actually another thing I like about the game is that it's very contained um, you just have this little wooden board that you put your pegs in that keep track of your food and your other resources. And then the dice you can actually roll into the box cover. So you can actually play this in bed because you don't need a table. Right, exactly. It's it's fantastically portable. It's great. <laughs> fantastically portable. Ooh. Ooh, there's a selling point. <laughs> Similar to Roll Through the Ages, it's Big Brother Through the Ages. Which... For the record, they're similar in that they're resource management games, but other than that, they just share three words <laughs> yeah. in the title. And they're both, yeah, I mean, they're both civilization building games, but Through the Ages is not one for before you go to bed. No. <laughs> it's not one you can play in bed. That's one you want to start on a Saturday morning after you've eaten brunch. Yes. And you have brunch. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, eggs Benedict. <laughs> Well, Through the Ages, uh, as most of you know, is a huge game. Uh, it's a civilization-building game, and most of those are kind of slow and plotting, and they have big maps and lots of little pieces. Now, this game does have lots of pieces to it, but it's not really that slow. It's fairly quickly moving. Um, there is there is no map. It's all card-based, and, and you have a little player board where you're moving around different pieces so you can figure out what your resources are and how many people you have and how happy they are. And we actually really love this as a two-player game. Again, this is one of the games that does scale up well, but it plays just as well with two players. And the great thing about Through the Ages is that it'll take you in, in steps. So you learn the basic game first, and then you move on to the medium game, and then you move on to the advanced game. And now this is a game we've talked about in other podcasts. So many of you are probably very familiar with it. This is another game that I'd say you may want to allot yourself a fair amount of time in reading the instructions because the mechanics are clear, but it does take a little bit of time to adjust to manipulating the pieces on your board because it is just a personal board and you're dealing with little wooden pieces that kind of shift back and forth between where they're placed. It does take a little bit of getting used to whether the pieces represent people or whether they represent buildings. They kind of morph as the game goes on, depending on where you're placing them. Right. Yep, exactly. 
It's a very flexible game, and it has a lot of replayability because of the way the cards come up, the the random factor of the cards, and the resources that you can take. Uh, we highly recommend it through the ages. So it's a it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a little daunting at first when you see all the places that everything goes, but once you play through the base game, you understand the basic mechanics, and you're able to move on very quickly. Yeah. So um, I'm going to also post on Dice Hate Me along with this podcast uh, a list of a few other games that we recommend for two players. And I'm going to move on to right now to games that we love, uh, but we actually have found that we prefer to play with more than two players. And one of those that I wanted to mention is Hansa Teutonica, or as Monkey likes to call it. Hansa Pneumonica. <laughs> right. Now, I've found that Hansa Teutonica is a really great three or four player game. But with two players, eh. And I've only played it as a two-player game, so I don't really have any opinions about this game yet because I've only played it once, and I don't think that would be fair to judge. Yeah. Plus, I was tired when we were playing that. That's true. This is a game that we definitely want to revisit. It has a lot of choices. It's uh, a very thinky type of game, and I've played it with three and four players. I just found in my impressions in playing it that the two-player version... It has a little bit of a clunky mechanism to keep up because, yeah, yeah you, you divide the board up by these little guys, so you divide the board up even more than it's meant to be divided up, and then you have this little wooden dude that you have to, on your beginning of your turn, move around, and you can use some of your actions to move him further, and you got to think about how you want to place him to place your people, but then also think about how you want to place them to keep it away from your opponent, it's just, it gets in the way of a lot of what I think is the elegant mechanics of the game, and you don't have to worry about that at all when you introduce three and four players. It's a lot smoother play. Uh, again, you're having to think a lot of the actions you're trying to do, but with a game that has so many open-ended actions, to introduce another element that really, in my opinion, was probably not there to begin with, it was only thought of afterwards to make it a two-player game, it just, it, it doesn't really, you know, fit so, we can't fully recommend right now that it's a two-player game. Yeah, with all due respect, the rest of the game seemed pretty fun and intriguing, but that really, the yeah. extra wooden dude, he just gets in the way. He breaks the momentum and the rhythm that you're, that you're building as right. you play the game. You know, you, you've gone, your opponent's gone, and then you have to move this wooden figure. And it's not like, it's not like Fresco, where that, where that dummy player's actually making moves. Right. I mean, you literally just move this guy and he doesn't make the same actions as the human players. Yeah, it seems a bit slapdash. It's not really something that I felt like it was uh, there in the original planning for the game. So, how about Small World? I think it's been mentioned before that Small World is not my favorite, so I'm going to stay out of this one. <laughs> it's not very exciting to me with two or six. <laughs> I know, I th- I might get some backlash on that one because I, everyone and their moms seem to love Small World, but <laughs> I, it has not won me over. Yeah, I'm not sure why that is. I don't know. So she's going to stay out of this one, but I'm going to chime in really quickly that I love Small World. I, I love playing it with multiple people. I think it's a very fun game. It's a very simple game to explain. The mechanics are very elegant, but I do not like playing Small World with two people. It's not in my mind, built for two people. Yes, they make the map smaller, uh, your space is confined, and so on and so forth, but you don't have that jockeying for position. You can't get into the diplomacy of 
saying, okay, well, this person now has the Amazons. We need to gang up on them and make sure that we take the territory back. Once another person gains the upper hand in a two-player game, for the most part, they're going to keep that upper hand for a long, long time. And there's not a whole lot you can do against it. So cannot recommend Small World with two players. One game that I want to mention that we can recommend for two players, and we love it. It's fantastic. But Alien Frontiers... We actually, we've played this game several times with two players, Mm -hmm. and we have a lot of fun. It's a great two-player game, but it's even better with three or four. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Yep. It's one of those games, too, where when you're playing two players, it's just as fun. It can be just as tight, but there were a couple of games where Monkey completely crushed me because there was nothing that I could really do against her. She kept rolling straights to go on the Uh old Raiders outpost. Yeah. There was a time where she kept rolling straights, kept going to Raiders Outpost, kept stealing my resources, and there was nothing that I could do to yeah. defend it. Yeah, she's mean like that. No, but with, with the addition of a third or fourth player, it really helps you. You usually need that help, you know, and it's kind of it's fun because you can see the allegiances changing as people just kind of fight for themselves, and then, you know, you decide, oh, I want to go against Chris. <laughs> well, nor- yeah. Even when there's other players in the game, normally she's trying to go against Chris. So, but that's just our our Whatever, loving. Like you don't go against me. That's our loving relationship. Aww. It's respect. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, Alien Frontiers. You all should get it by now. Anyway, you should go out and try to find a copy. Third printing's coming. By the way, we'll have news on that soon. Uh, how about why don't you mention a game that you don't think you could recommend for two players at all? Um, digging. Digging should dig its own grave <laughs> and walk right into it and then gather the dirt and bury itself. <laughs> and for those, we've mentioned digging before, but for those who don't know digging, it, it's, I think, supposed to be the first game by Reiner Knizia. And uh, it's currently in our Hall of Shame in the closet. Which we, means way back. Way back. On the top shelf. I can't even reach it. <laughs> so if she was in some <laughs> drunken stupor, she couldn't get to it to play it. But it's it's horrible as a two-player game. It's it's not meant to be a two-player game at all, I don't think. It Is was it just, good as a multiplayer game? Uh, I have no desire to find out. It's okay. I mean, it's not the greatest game ever, but it's certainly not the complete idiotic luck fest that the second game, I mean, the two-player game is. Yeah. It's just really bad. Don't don't get it. I could have caught up on the last episode of Modern Family instead of playing that game. <laughs> and uh, one that I want to add to that list, which I know that I've made my opinion very clear about, is Lost Cities. I know a lot of people love Lost Cities. Um, you may want to go and try and find out for yourself, but I it's built for two players. But it is a sadistic, horrible, luck-based mathy card game and that all those things to me equals not a fun time at all i I don't like it so if you have a game you want to trade us (laughs) i think chris will give up lost cities i will i will trade lost cities for monopoly i don't care it's just one of those things that it's it's a game that should not be played by loved ones it makes me angry yeah i think he's got issues you got issues you have issues you have issues you have issues Well, all of you probably have opinions as well, both on multiplayer solitaire and about games that are good for two players. So we want to hear your thoughts. Send those to podcast at dicehateme.com and let us know. We'll talk about it in a future podcast or we can even, if you want to, add them to the article that I'm going to put on Dice Hate Me about late night games. 
Moving on, now it's time for... The State of Games. That's right. Now, uh, we know we've been talking a lot about games all the way through the podcast, but we always like to highlight one that we've been playing lately. We haven't had too much time to play mini games since Monkey's been eyeball deep in finals. Um, so tell us something smart, Monkey. Stay in school. <laughs> <laughs> For how long? Your whole life? 17 years, if that's what it takes. Yeah, stay in school. That's good. That's good. The more you know, I need to have the The little... more you know. <laughs> <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> okay, well, one game that we uh, did get a chance to try out, uh, even though Monkey was studying like a mad woman, was a recent release from Z-Man Games, and that game is Twa. Twa. Or Troyes, or Troys, or Troyes. We don't know. Twa, as the French say. Twa. Anyway, we broke this out the other day and uh, went through one play test, and we just wanted to mention our first impressions on the game. That we'll be, I'll be playing it a lot more this week and probably writing a review on Dice Hate Me this week as well. So look for that. And So what did you think? I dug it, except I'm not sure that I can follow all the hype about the artwork because I'm actually not so crazy about it. I think the font is terribly difficult to read, and I'm just not that all all that impressed with the artwork. I do like the mechanics of the game, and I liked playing it, but I don't know what all the hoopla was. <laughs> the hoopla? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's not my favorite artwork in any game. I'm not as bothered by it as you seem to be. I like the the board. Actually, is sort of uh, has a whimsical feel to it a little bit. That, that I like. It has a nice hand drawn feel, so it's it's different. But going beyond the artwork, uh, the mechanics behind the game are really cool. It's it's a Euro game, but again, has dice in it. So we mentioned airships earlier. This is far, far removed from airships, however. It's based around the city of Troyes, and you're trying to manage your pool of workers. Um, but your workers, in this case, are represented by dice. And I won't go too deeply into the mechanics for this, because again, I'm going to write a, a good review article and tell you a little bit more about the mechanics of that, but... It utilizes a lot of your brain. I mean, you have to think a lot about what you're doing in this in this game. And just because you've got workers on your side of the city that you can use, the one thing that's kind of neat is that the person you're playing against, or whether that's just one other or up to three other people, can buy those workers from you and use them, you know, to go around the city and do actions or protect the city against uh, marauders or invaders or something that's happened. Uh, an event that's that's happening in the city as well. So I thought that was kind of a cool little mechanic. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's fun. So moving on away from playing games, we'd like to talk about maybe giving away a game. Ooh. Yeah. So we mentioned earlier in the podcast that June 1st marks the anniversary of Dice Hate Me, and we had something really special planned. Fortunately, the surprise turned out to be even bigger than we had planned, and for our anniversary spectacular, we're giving away a free copy of one of the games that we love to play with two players. And since we like to stick to themes around here, we thought it would be appropriate to give away a game that's all about special events in history. What game is that, Monkey? Through the Ages. That's right. Eagle and Griffin Games was kind enough to sponsor the special anniversary giveaway, so we'd like to say thanks for the board gaming love. If you haven't followed Eagle Games on Twitter, you really should. They give away free stuff every week. Maybe it's not as cool as Through the Ages, but still, hey, free stuff. 
So anyway, here's how to enter. What we want from all of you is pictures. Fun pictures, creative pictures, gaming pictures, pictures of your dog, your kids, your grandparents, whatever. But send us interesting pictures and we'll pick our five favorites, draw them out of a hat, and you'll get a free, relatively expensive game. A good game. A great game. That's right. And now, the more creative and or game related your picture, the more likely it will be picked for the top five drawing. So get out there, get whimsical, and impress us. Do your thing. <laughs> you can send those awesome pictures to podcast at dicehateme.com or you can post them to the Dice Hate Me wall on Facebook. We're not going to tell you that you might get bonus points for posting on Facebook, but you might get bonus points. If you post on Facebook. Yeah, but we didn't say that. Ever. O- officially. No. No. Oh, and the winners and runners-up will have their pictures posted on Dice Hate Me for the official anniversary post. The deadline for the contest is 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sunday, May 29th, so get those photos in. We do have to place one stipulation on the contest, though. The Through the Ages giveaway is only available for those listeners in the U.S. and Canada. But don't fear, we haven't forgotten our international listeners. There will be a separate drawing for all of you for a $30 gift certificate to your favorite online game store. So let's get the whole world in on the giveaway celebration, shall we? Hey, did you know you can find us on Twitter? It's true. And we're pretty cool. You can follow me at Dice Hate Me. And find me at Monkey238. Rumor has it that if you do follow me on Twitter, you might get bonus points in the giveaway. Ooh. Ooh. And don't forget to check out DiceHateMe.com because you love us and you like great gaming content. Oh, and free stuff. Until next time, this is Dice Hate Me. And Monkey238. Saying thanks for listening. And may all your rolls be sixes. sixes.